0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to be back So from Summerfest. So glad to have so many people who came up during their run at Summerfest to to Got a chance to speak to us, and um it was very, very pleasant. Look, I don't know what the attendance numbers are going to be at Summerfest. I, I, I suspect they're going to be down for a variety of reasons. You know, COVID, I'm sure maybe the proof that you were vaccinated rule discouraged some people. I mean, the big thing was Summerfest running in September. It's just it's not the same. I mean, Summerfest depends on young people going down there in large numbers and you got a lot of college kids that were back in school you've got teachers that were back in school that might have otherwise been inclined to go down there I give Summerfest a lot of credit for pulling off the event uh, this year and and candidly if, if if they if they even break even on this year's event, I think that will be a heck of an accomplishment. And I think uh, next year is going to be completely and totally different. But um, certainly appreciate everybody who stopped by at Summerfest, and thank you to all the Summerfest officials for making our our stay there extremely pleasant. I was just talking about this with Carol. I I, I don't know if you watched the Emmy Awards last night. I confess I did not. I, I have read the reviews of the Emmy Awards, and they are just brutal about what just an awful long show it, it was, how tedious it was. Um, part of the problem, of course, is that for a lot of the shows that ended up winning, many of us have never seen them before, because it's now, it, it used to be, you know, the shows that were up for Emmy nominations were shows that people could access and, and watch. You could turn on, you know, NBC and you could watch Friends or you could watch Seinfeld or you could watch the Andy Griffith show on CBS or you could watch these different things. Nowadays, it, it's become so specialized that unless you have Netflix, you don't know about the show The Crown, which won a number of awards. I, I keep hearing a lot about this, this Ted Lasso show. I, I have lots of people who I know I love it. I don't have Apple TV, so I, I have never seen the show. You know, you there's all these different things, but TV viewing has become so fragmented, and access to so many of these shows is just out of the range, that the universe of people that can watch it. And unless you stream Hulu, you can't see shows. Unless you stream uh, Peacock, you can't see, see stream certain shows. So I, I think part of it is a lot of people say, well, sounds like an interesting show, never seen it, never going to really have a chance to watch it, so who cares? But the ultimate irony of the Emmys, and this this again demonstrates the hypocrisy of the East Coast, West Coast, Hollywood elites. So... <laughs> we we have been told as a matter of fact in in california there's all these requirements now you know mask rules indoor mask rules and things of the like and and reasonable people can disagree about whether or not you need indoor mask rules or not but you know we're, we're told that covid is a big deal and there's resurgence we're of covid and we all need to be aware of these things well at the emmy awards if you were the help If you were the ushers, if you were the people that were, you know, parking the cars, all those types of things, you had to wear masks because that was just the rule. We want to protect. We want to make sure that you are not spreading the germs, regardless of whether you're vaccinated or not. You have to wear masks. You know who didn't have to wear masks? All of the beautiful people attending the the event. (laughs) I mean, and it's just, again, you can argue whether or not indoor mask rules make sense. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. But the irony is you have the Hollywood elite that show up to applaud each other for their great work in media and entertainment. And none of them, none of them are wearing masks at all. So... (laughs) And, and, of course, the justification is, well, in order to get in here, everybody had to be vaccinated. Oh, okay, that that's fine. If that's going to be the rule, then, then let's... In certain areas, let's say, okay, the vaccinations mean you don't have to wear masks indoors. But if Hollywood is going to be, again, telling all the rest of us that, well, no, we need to go back to mask mandates. And any times you're indoors, you know, you need to wear masks. You have 500 people that are kind of crammed together in a real close situation. And they decided, well, we're the Hollywood elite. We're the A-list. We don't need to do it. Interestingly, comedian Seth Rogen came out and he started making fun of this he started commenting about how you know you know we th- this looks like a super spreader event and and the crowd the a-listers well they didn't like that at all i don't know what the numbers are going to be on this but my guess is Most people didn't see it because I don't think too many people were watching the Emmys. But if you do see the highlights, notice that the Hollywood elite think that apparently they cannot spread covid mask rules are okay for the little people. You know, let them eat cake. But for everybody else, no, it has been an incredibly bad series of days for the Biden administration. Let's kind of review some of the bidding. And if this were Trump. If Donald Trump was still the president, these would be the screaming headlines of one failure after another. And this is just all in the course of the last couple days. Since Friday, the Pentagon has acknowledged that the drone strike that they launched in Afghanistan, in fact, did kill 10 civilians, including seven children, not terrorists. Let's just take a step back. If this had been a drone strike ordered by President Donald Trump, this would have been the lead story, at least in my opinion, in any, every one of the Sunday talking head shows. Oh my gosh, Trump is killing civilians, things of the like. But because it's Biden, it's, well, okay, we're, we're it's yeah, nothing to see here. All right. That's number one. Number two, a panel advising the FDA voted not to recommend COVID booster shots for all Americans over age 16. Remember a couple of weeks ago, the Biden administration is out there saying, hey, we, we, we need, booster shots. We, we have to have this. Get them as soon as you can. And now the FDA comes out and says, well, not, not so fast. You know, if you're over 65, if you've got a compromised immune system, fine. But otherwise, we're not seeing evidence that justifies that there's a sufficient need for people not in those categories, those high-risk categories, to get the booster shots. Huh. France We'll talk more about this uh, uh, later. France. Now, keep in mind, one of the things that Biden ran against Trump on was the whole thing that oh, Trump's Trump has just irritated all our allies. We are a laughing stock. We don't have any sort of cooperation at all. Well, all right, it's now being revealed that the U.S. went behind France's back cut this deal to sell nuclear submarines to Australia without notifying France that it was going to do this. And all of a sudden, France has lost the $9 billion contract to build submarines for Australia. Now, it may very well be that this was the right thing to do. Australia gets better submarines by buying them from the U.S. than they would have for France. But the operative thing is the Biden administration Engaged in, I think what most people would agree was kind of underhanded secret negotiations to essentially pull the rug out from under one of our major European allies. Once again, if Trump had done that, this would have been the lead story on all the talking head shows on Sunday. Here, Trump figures out a way to just completely blindside and mess over one of our big allies. But because Biden does it, well, not much. All right. Then. Again, this is all developing since Friday. You've now got the estimates vary between 10 and 14,000, but tens, of, but thousands and thousands of people massed at the border, pouring into this country, completely and totally out of control at the border. You think that would have happened under President Trump? And then, of course, the news from today. The stock market is absolutely cratering. Let's see. Current numbers, oh gosh, it's getting worse. Eight hundred. The Dow down 815 points. This is after two weeks of gradual declines, and the bottom is falling out today. NASDAQ down 424. Dow Jones down 812. Any one of these different Events would have been, again, during the Trump era, it would have been the cause for headlines. Oh my gosh, the country's out of control. You know, the leadership has lost control. You have five separate events over the course of really just a couple days. We're going to break down a couple and we're going to start with the mess going on in the border. Stick around. The Wagner Show continues in just a moment. (laughs) 855-616-1620. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's a mess, and it is a mess that appropriately belongs at the doorstep of President Biden and the Democrats who currently control Congress. The border, the southern border, is out of control. If you haven't been following the story, right now there's about fifteen thousand immigrants, primarily from Haiti who have somehow managed to get to Mexico. They've gotten across Mexico, and now what they are doing is they are camped out under a bridge near Del Rio, Texas, in conditions that are absolutely appalling. What these people want to do is they're going to all claim asylum in the U.S., and they're going to, it's, will in fact overwhelm that the U.S. asylum system. And what's going to happen is if you claim asylum, then what you can do is you can stay in the United States until your case gets process, processed, which means several years probably because of the backlog. But more importantly, once people get in and they, they just sort of disappear into the, the, the Texas night, you, you never find a large number of these people. So what you have is the border essentially Despite what the Biden administration says, it's now open here. Here is the number. Now, of course, you know, during the campaign as a candidate and since taking office, you know, Joe Biden has said, well, well, look, you know, we're we're not going to be, you know, deporting people en masse. And that has, even though he says the border is closed, well, that has encouraged the mess that is going on here. So as a result, you have this huge humanitarian crisis. Um, These Texas border towns like Del Rio are absolutely overwhelmed. You have state and local officials who are pleading with the federal government to come in and try to take some sort of control over the situation. And yet the numbers continue to get worse and worse. In August alone there were nearly 209,000 border apprehensions. Um, So far, apprehensions uh, through all 2021 have been 1.32 million. And that doesn't include, you know, what's going on now. So you have an absolute mess that is happening. And the Biden administration, at least to me, appears to be completely and totally overwhelmed. Part of the problem is you have at least one federal court that's issued a ruling saying well we're not going to allow you to deport migrants under emergency rules like the Trump administration was doing it doing so what the federal judge is saying is under the law you have to allow everybody to come in claim asylum and you can only deport them after their asylum claim has been worked through which like I say takes several years our number is 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line here here's what needs to happen First of all, they're sending 400 agents down to the border. That's too little. That's too late. You have to get control of the border. You cannot allow people to come into the United States. Secondly, and this needs to happen like about several weeks ago, Congress needs to get together and Congress needs to make clear, change the law, making clear that people who come into this country seeking asylum do not get to stay in this country while their claim is being processed. Because as long as you have that option, you're going to have these people that just believe they've got an incentive to come into the country and then, uh, again, overwhelm the system. And right now, it is overwhelmed. Our number, 855 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can we continue to allow what is going on and what has, in fact, been going on for the better part of this year but now is really reaching a crisis point? Can we continue to allow this to happen where you have thousands and thousands and thousands of People who are coming into this country illegally, many of the people who are coming into this country illegally are being brought in by human traffickers and things of the like. So we, we've given the, these cartels just a huge boost in, in their business as they try to take people on these dangerous trips to get them through Mexico and get them into this country because they believe that they're going to be allowed to stay. Can we allow this to go on? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. And my answer is no. Can you imagine living in one of these border towns right now with what you are are dealing with and seeing no end in sight? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, and and I've, I've tried to offer, you know, one of the things that's kind of frustrating about this is that, you know, sometimes people say, okay, we've got this problem, but what are the solutions? All right, first of all, this, look, the border has been a problem for a long time, but the border was not as much of a problem under Trump as it is under Biden, because Biden has sent these signals all along that, well, we're not going to be like Trump. We're, we're not going to... We're, it's not an open border, mind you, but part of the problem is a lot of the people in his party want open borders. They want people to be able to flock into this country. They don't want to have limitations, which in my opinion is crazy. So Biden has been sending mixed messages, and now you have to borrow, use the cliche, you have the chickens coming home to roost. You have 15 plus thousand people crammed in horrible living situations, you know, right under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas, and they, they have nowhere to go. Well, what happens is if they get into this country and they're allowed to stay here while the asylum requests are processed, well, what's gonna happen is it's gonna be years. So effectively, it is an open border. Just come on in, claim asylum, and we're not gonna be able to send you back. So here's what needs to happen. We need a situation where they need to change the law immediately. Now, there's arguments as to whether or not the Trump administration took the position that under COVID, we have the ability to turn people back under emergency rules. There's this federal judge who said, no, you don't. Well, okay, it's really easy. You just change the law. And this is something that should have bipartisan support. The rule and the law should be very clear, and Biden should sign it, and the Democrats in the Senate and the House should pass it, and the Republicans in the House and Senate should pass it, and it should be real clear that while you apply for asylum, you are not allowed to stay in the United States. You are not allowed to come in. And so that would make it clear that we could in fact secure our borders. That's number one needs to happen. Let's clear up any question about the law. And then number two, there needs to be a commitment of resources. And I understand they've just authorized 400 more border agents, but that's way too little and it's way too late. You probably need three or four times that many. You cannot allow people to come into the United States and overwhelm our systems. And you're really not doing the, the folks who are coming into this country or trying to enter the country illegally. You're not doing them a favor either because right now they're they're we cannot process them. We cannot handle them. So they're stuck in, in very, very bad conditions. It is a human rights crisis, and it is, but it's been promulgated and caused in part because we, we've again sent mixed messages and the people who have been exploiting this are the folks who are trying to find a better life and the human traffickers who figured out a way to make money on this. Look, we need to wake up and have a bipartisan solution to this, and it's real easy. It starts with securing our borders. We can then have the conversation, like I say, about what do you do with the the dreamers, the people who've been in this country for years and years and haven't caused problems. Should we give them a path to citizenship? Should we give them a path to permanent residency? You can have that dialogue, but you can't have that dialogue as long as you've got thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of people trying to pour into this country illegally over the course of the last nine months. Our next story comes to us from Fred. For those of you who are, are not regular listeners or longtime listeners of the program, I, I, I refer to that the the city in the in the heart of the state of Wisconsin where we have the capital, I you know, it, it's you might know it as Madison. But if you know it as Madison, you are obviously part of the, the politically incorrect force out there who doesn't realize that a city named after James Madison should not exist in 2021. You see, James Madison, who was, of course, the fourth President of the United States, generally viewed as a great American statesman, a diplomat, an expansionist, a philosopher. He was a founding father. And again, he was the President of the United States for two terms, 1809 to 1877. He is hailed as the father of the Constitution for his pivotal role in drafting and promoting the Constitution of the United States and the U.S. Bill of Rights. He co-wrote the Federalist Papers. He co-founded the Democratic Party and, again, served as the fifth United States Secretary of State. Um, before he became the president. All right. Now you might say, well, what is the controversy with James Madison? And by the way, the city of Madison in Dane County is named after James Madison, right? And you say, well, Jeff, of course that's true. Well, but you do not understand. See, in 2021, we cannot we cannot celebrate somebody like James Madison because James Madison was also a prominent Virginia planter and as as a prominent Virginia planter in the late 1700s and the early 1800s James Madison also owned slaves so he was a slave owner and as a result of that we have to cancel everything that james madison did and we cannot acknowledge the existence of james madison he needs to be eradicated from our culture which is one of the reasons why i do not understand why all the people out there who just so despise james madison how they can live in the city of madison how can you wake up every morning and say hey i'm proud to be from madison when you know it is named after this horrible horrible person so I think you know what we should do is just rename Madison Fred. I mean, just so it's the town of Fred here. We're you know we're we're going. It's the the University of Wisconsin Fred. It's here. You know, if you're you're running for office, yeah, we, we've got the we've got the state house. You know, we're 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 going to be driving to Fred today. Hey, we're we're going out. They've got all sorts of great lakes. You know, we're going to go down State Street. You know, we're traveling out to Fred to see it. I see. I that's that is my idea because I know this affects the conscience of so many people who live out in. In that town in Dane County, I'm not even sure we can say the name Madison anymore because it's so, well, I I mean, it's just so mind-boggling. Now, what has me started on this again? Well, it's because I have in my hands a story from the Wisconsin State Journal, and I swear I cannot make this up. Four finalists remain for Madison Memorial High School name change. James Madison Memorial High School is in... Of course, Madison. The city is named after James Madison. The high school is named after James Madison. And some of the politically correct and the perpetually offended folks decided, we can't have this. We cannot have a high school named after James Madison, because, you know, the the truth is he he was a slave owner. And and this is, it, it gives him recognition. We should not honor him. And so, so, believe it or not, the school board out there decided to give in to this. And they said, okay, we don't want anybody to be offended. So what we're going to do is we're going to rename the school. So they took, you know, they they took all sorts of applications for names. So now they've got four finalists. So here, here are the four finalists. Okay. One is instead of calling it James Madison Memorial High School, they're just going to call it Memorial High School. We'll, we'll we'll get rid of we'll get rid of James Madison. Now the problem with that is some people are saying, "Oh no, 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 we can't do that because I- I- if you say memorial, some people will remember that it was used to be James Madison Memorial, so we can't just call it Memorial because it's going to be perpetually linked to James Madison, the fourth president of the United States who was a slave owner and oh my god, we're going to have all these problems. The second name that was suggested was Bruce Dahman Memorial High School. He was, um, a long serving, Bruce Dahman was a long serving principal at James Madison Memorial High School. Um, he was a principal from 2005 till he died unexpectedly in 2014. All right. Um, students voted the next year to name the school's first mascot Bruce. So he was, he was beloved. All right. Well, this has been controversial and I swear I do not make this up, I quote from the story, because committee members expressed concern that if the school were named for another person, that individual might later be found to have had undesirable traits which could prompt another name change in the future. So you have this beloved principal who died unexpectedly, but they're worried that, gee, if we name it after him, somewhere, somebody might become offended at some point in time because of something that this man did in his life that we don't know about, so then we'd, we'd have to change it again. The third name is Vell Phillips Memorial High School. She was the first black woman to graduate from UW-Madison School of Law. And then um, the fourth name is another former principal at the school and a community activist. Her name is Darlene M. Hancock. But it's Phil Phillips Memorial High School, Darlene M. Hancock Memorial High School, both of which are African-American females. Bruce Dahman Memorial High School. But there's problems with that because they're concerned that there might be something in this man's background that might come up at some point in time that would cause the issue or simply Memorial High School. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but I find this entire this entire issue to be absolutely dumb. (laughs) Is there any reason to cancel James Madison. See, that's what started this whole thing. And now, once you go down this rabbit hole, how do you come back? I mean, I understand they're saying, okay, well, we, we can't have James Madison, so we name it after another person. Well, all right, we can't name it after another person, because who knows, there might be something that turns up in that person's background 20 or 30 years from now that somebody else gets offended by, so we can't necessarily do the people route. We can't just call it Memorial High School, which seems to me the thing that makes the most sense, because some people aren't going to separate But doesn't it go back to this fundamental thing of, is there any reason to cancel James Madison in the first place? 855-616-1620, which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. And I say this semi-seriously, if you can't have James Madison Memorial High School in Madison, how can you have Madison? Shouldn't we just change the name to Fred? And where are all the people who are perpetually offended and politically correct about this? How how can you how can you have how can you live in a community that's named after the fourth president of the United States? To me, the whole thing is just silly in the extreme. And what we need to do is we need to say Madison is fine. And James Madison Memorial High School is fine. Because once you let this, let's rename stuff Genie out of the box, it is impossible to put that Genie back in the bottle. 855 616 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line we discuss in a moment. 855 616 1620. Let's start. Bill and Racine. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hi. Uh, retired teacher.
1: 15 years
2: at Madison University High School now called James Madison Academic Center in Milwaukee yep are they next? Uh,
1: why I, I, I guess I mean Bill how I mean aren't, aren't you ashamed for having worked for a place that was named after the this the, the fourth president of the United States? I mean how can you how can you live with yourself Bill that you worked there all those years?
2: No one seemed to have a problem with it at all. And no, the kids love building. Kids loved it. school songs, uh, fight songs, and all that. Uh, well, you're going to have to change everything, I suppose, at this point.
1: I, uh, I no, th- thanks. For, no, you're, you're you're exactly right, and and that's. I mean, I seriously raised this this question. I mean, and some I, I got one text saying, "Well, Jeff, you you don't understand how much trauma and harm this psychologically causes to to people of color." Well, uh, really. I mean, at at some point in time, I, look, I, I understand that there's real examples of racism in this world, and that needs to be attacked and, and eradicated. But here you have the fourth president of the United States. Is it really true, do you think, that anybody that goes to, whether it's James Madison in Milwaukee or James Madison in Madison or the town of Fred, if we want to remove the term of Madison, that that they're really psychologically scarred by going to this particular school? Or is this one of these things where you just have people sitting around, again, trying to figure out what can can i possibly be offended about um jeff what about here's a text what about columbus well, I, you know, exactly right. There have been movements, of course, to, to get rid of Columbus Day because, you know, Columbus isn't viewed as the founder of of North America. Uh, the, this, uh, what he's what he's really viewed at is, okay, this was, you know, Columbus was this racist who, who led to, you know, the indigenous peoples being trampled over. But that, that's a very good question. I mean, for all those of you who may be listening to me right now who live in Columbus, Wisconsin, I mean how 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 can we how can we have that how can we continue to to have these various names what about Washington DC is it time to recognize that we need to change the name of the nation's capital because well George Washington founder of the country but at the same time again one of the founding fathers just like James Madison he was also he was he was a slave owner at what point you know in in time um, at at what point in time do we say you, you know what we we have to separate phony issues from from real issues and we have to concentrate on on what the real issues are? But interestingly, and one of the reasons I revisit this is because to me th- this highlights again the rabbit hole you go down because now they're trying to find different names and it's like well we can't just call it memorial high school because there might be some people that will always think of it as James Madison Memorial High School and so that won't do and we we'd love to name it after this deceased principal but you know he might have some skeleton in his closet that comes out 30 years from now and then we're back where we were and then you've got the two uh, you've got the two women and nobody's apparently saying they might have skeletons or closets but again that that whole thing is just silly but it's what happens the, the argument that well we can't honor somebody because 20 or 30 years later, we might find out that maybe they weren't as perfect as, as people thought. I, I think, you know, the the bottom line of this is this just shows how crazy the cancel culture gets. And once you go through the looking glass and go down that politically correct rabbit hole, there, there's no good answers. Candidly, to me, you'd like to have some grown up step up and say, you know what? it's, It's been James Madison Memorial High School for a long time. It's going to continue to stay James Madison Memorial High School. And if somebody out there doesn't like it, too bad. The squeaky wheel doesn't always need to get grease sometimes you just let the squeaky wheel squeak until it stops or it goes away or whatever but this issue well, it's still out there in madison you can't even call it memorial high school because of the link and you know what if they change the name if they name it you know whatever anything else it's not going to make the daily life of one student or one teacher or one graduate. It's not going to make one whit of difference. It does not improve their lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. I guess the cancel culture is claiming victims, and that's all well and good. But I do seriously raise the question, if you can't have James Madison Memorial High School in Madison, Wisconsin, how can you have Madison, Wisconsin? All right, where is the movement? My name is, let's call it Fred from now on. Back with more in just a minute. (laughs) This is Jeff Wagner. One of our texters says, Jeff, given today's standards of education, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that most of the students even know who James Madison was. <laughs> you know, I, I, there, there is an element to that. My, my guess is if, if you surveyed all the students that attended you know, James Madison Memorial High School in Madison, Wisconsin, and you said, okay, who, who is James Madison? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe maybe two out of ten would be able to say fourth president of the United States. And eh, maybe not even two out of ten. But of course, this is this controversy because some of those same people are just so offended that they have to go to a school named after that. And that's that's all well and good. But I'm just saying, in for a penny, in for a pound. If you can't have James Madison Memorial High School, how can you have Madison, Wisconsin? In general, you know, for everybody who thinks that there is glamour in in being on TV, I it's I I always my my joke is talk to some of the reporters. Oh, after about the second or the third time, they've stood out at the truck stop in Fond du Lac waiting for the blizzard to hit, and you'll understand it's really not that glamorous a, a job. But what's really difficult is when they're out at the truck stop in Fond du Lac and the blizzard that's been predicted doesn't hit. And so you keep, you know, all right, the, the news is on every 30 minutes. They go, let, let's talk to, uh, you know, let, let's talk to James Madison, who's out at the truck stop in Fond du Lac. Um, well, it's not snowing yet. You know, it's just. But, but of course, because in this case the weather people predicted it, and because the news directors made the decision we're going to have people out there. Well, they, they've got to go ahead with it, even though there's no news, even though there's nothing happening, and even though I will tell you the reporters all feel like idiots having to do these stand-up spots when when nothing is is happening. Even when they're out there saying yes, it's snowing, you feel kind of dumb. But when it's not snowing, oh, okay. But but again, they've made the commitment. It's sort of this fixed costs, so you have people out there, so let's go ahead and do it. That same thing happened this weekend. In Washington, D.C., there was going to be this rally calling it Justice for J6, and this was this rally that was supposed to occur for people who were going to come and show their support for the folks who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Well, all along, I think if, if you were following it, many of us believed and I think I mentioned this last week that this this was a completely media hyped event and I, I found it unlikely that anybody that there was going to be any sort of significant numbers of people who were going to attend. But nevertheless Better safe than sorry. Authorities erected temporary fencing around the Capitol. Heavy dump trucks ring the rally site. Local police departments, the National Guard were on standby. And the media horde descended. Well, again, this is one of these stories about what happens if you stage a rally and nobody comes. So instead, if you watch the coverage over the weekend, it was mind-blowing. In all honesty, there were more media people... Then there were quote-unquote protesters. They had a few dozen, maybe a hundred maybe, that showed up, kind of a ragtag band of people. There were more media people, there were more press that were there, and then of course, since they're there, instead of just saying this is a nothing burger, you have everybody trying to track down every one of the crackpots that did in fact show up to try to get statements and pretend like this was some sort of big event. It was, again, it was a complete and total bust. It was predictable that it was going to be a bust, but you you had the, the media pundits all because they, they wanted to say, okay, we've got all these nut jobs that are out there who are, are really sympathetic to the people who were engaged in the riot, and, and they might stage another attack. And, and yet, even when nobody showed up, just like making the reporter report from the blizzard that isn't happening at the Trump stop, truck stop in Fond du Lac, this was the same thing, and yet this was the lead story on many newscasts. Wow. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic
0: Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now,
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So, Mike Spaulding, you know what news story is probably over the weekend? It was the most requested one for people like texting me or emailing me saying, we want you to talk about it Monday. You know what it would be? Is it the missing girl? The missing girl story, yeah, right? Yeah. The the um, the and you were, were talking about it. Gabriel Petito, who jo- early July, she and her fiance, a guy named Brian Laundry, they they leave for like a four month "Let's go see America" you know van thing, um, van life, and so they're driving around. And a couple weeks ago, he comes back. She doesn't. And so just September 2nd, the family, her family reports her is missing. And of course the controversy, is that the the police then go out to interview him hey what you know what happened you know two people leave one person comes back and he lawyers up and refuses to answer any sort of questions and that's kind of where it's been report over the weekend that authorities in wyoming believe that they they found her body is what they, they haven't confirmed it officially right but that's what the suspicion is right yeah yeah and they've i believe they've told her
3: family as well they just haven't confirmed it,
1: right else. and meanwhile the guy He's now disappeared as well. I mean, he he was at home with his family, and now no, nobody's seen him for a while, and so he he's in the wind. Um, and everybody's asking me to kind of talk about it. I and my problem with stories like this is I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it's you know every, everybody's got their theories and stuff, but it's almost like what do you say? It, it's a horrible sort of story, but, um, you know, it, it's had a horrible ending for her. My guess is it doesn't have a good ending for him. But, you know, I don't know that you're ever going to, at least at this point in time, what, what do you say about something like that? Yeah, it's a tough
3: one because there's so much up in the air. Obviously, they don't know a lot. They were just, the FBI and the police were at his parents' house. and they Executing to, a search warrant. Yeah. Yes, and they've been there for quite a while. They got there like three-ish, three, four hours ago, and they're still there according to the network news. So it it. it I feel like we're, we're maybe close to some answers, but until they find him or he speaks or whatever, yeah, it's kind of up
1: in the air. Well, and, and the thing is, now, a number of people are critical of law enforcement. Well, why didn't they do more? And I, I guess my, my explanation would be there, there, there's a limit. Look, I he you have to – first of all, people do not have to speak to the police if you – if you do not want to, you cannot unless unless you're given immunity and get a court order. I mean, you know, you now you would think it would be normal if, you know, if if you or I went off with some woman and, you know, you, you come back, you know, you're 23 years old and you got your girlfriend, or your fiance and you come back without her. You, you'd you think that, you know, you'd explain immediately, oh, we had a fight, you know, and I, I we got mad and she walked out on me and I left her in Moab, Utah or something. You would think you would tell that. But under the law, you cannot be compelled to do that and so right away he lawyers up he refuses to talk and so once you refuse to talk there's a limit as to what the police can do and you you can't arrest somebody just on the fact that they're not talking to you you need to have evidence to you know get get a search warrant or whatever and I mean somebody was telling me this morning well maybe they should have followed him around well and again, there's a limit. It's the number of police officers you have. And if they don't have enough evidence to arrest him for a crime, how can you just put a tail on the guy for day after day? It was it's an unfortunate situation. But I'm not sure I'm not sure it's a problem with law enforcement.
3: Well, it it it. it seems a lot like playing the results. Right. It's like, well, they sh- should have done this or they could have done this. Like, well, yeah, they. if, if you're looking at it on Monday afternoon. But, right. you know, like you said, when. People just show up, and and what do you? You can't just,
1: you know, allocate all those resources to a person who you're not quite sure what you're looking for. Now. Right, or, or you don't have any evidence. So, right, that's it. It says, okay. So somebody was saying, well, you should have put a tail on him. Well, okay. Well. That, that, that's all well and good. So you're gonna, and how long are you gonna keep a, a quote unquote tail on somebody? And are you gonna follow him around or, or whatever? And again, you know, who knows, you know, what's going on? I, you know, maybe he'll turn up. Maybe, I, I mean, I don't know how this is gonna end. I really don't want to speculate on the radio, but my guess is none of this is gonna end, end well. Um, and I don't know that we'll ever necessarily get to the bottom of it, but I'm not sure. It's a failure of law enforcement. And by the way, I understand the frustration that the the family has. I mean, if that was my daughter who went off with this guy, and he comes back and she doesn't, and he's not talking, I mean, I, I understand the the incredible frustration you would have, and the anger you would have. And what do you mean you're not talking? You know, what what's going on here? And that that's a fair and it's a legitimate opinion. But what you know, there's only so much I guess in a situation that law enforcement can do. You can't arrest somebody unless you've got evidence that that he committed a crime. And at least this, I think up until now, first of all, at this point in time, they until until they found the body, they didn't have evidence that there's a crime that was committed. I mean that you know, this people people disappear. That that's and and. We've seen this before. Sometimes people just decide, hey, I'm going to walk away from my life or whatever, and you don't have evidence that there's a crime. Up until up until the last couple of days, it doesn't even appear necessarily that there was evidence there was a crime, much less something you could arrest somebody for. So, And they still haven't said anything about a crime
3: necessarily. He is still a person of interest. Right. He's not a suspect in a crime. They haven't said, I think we'll learn a lot. I don't know if it will be as early as this afternoon. But you'd think that the FBI agents interviewing his parents would ask, okay, what did he tell you when he showed up on September 1st and she wasn't there? So I think we'll learn a little bit more. Right. We're, we're learning more about this this 911 call and stuff like that already. So I
1: Right, and the circumstances behind yeah. her, if, if this body is in fact hers, once we learn more about the circumstances behind her death. And and I understand with these missing person stuff, it's frustrating. But I, I dealt with this a couple times where, I mean, sometimes people just walk away. And so it's, it's not always... A, a crime, but I admit this whole thing. I understand why everybody's fascinated with it, and I understand the frustration, the exasperation people hear where two people go and only one person comes back, and that person's not safe. Because the, the typical reaction, I don't know about you, but if, if I was on some road trip with a fiance, girlfriend, best friend, buddy, whatever, and you know we, we come back and they say well what happened well we got we got into an argument i left him at a truck stop in moab you know where he walked out on me and you know we, we got mad and we got into a fight and haven't seen him since sorry don't know anything more about it don't know where he is stay tuned huh?
3: yeah we'll have to i mean i i i'm with you if it was me you'd probably tell someone if a friend fell off the side of a cliff or if <laughs> there's a reason you're not going to be with that person anymore i think the the uh the optics in 2021 certainly do not look good and i also don't think these efforts are going to be helped by the rapid speculation the rampant speculation that's going to be on social media and the police and fbi having to, to comb through all of these phone calls i'm sure they're getting comb, you know comb through all this evidence right. um but yeah at this point i you know,
1: stay tuned right and there was this weird thing in in august where um let's see where were they were they? august 12th moab utah Police get a report of domestic problem where they have some sort of argument and and he's actually in the police reports apparently considered the victim um but it's just it's bizarre and you you hope for the best but uh, I know there is this incredible fascination with this, and we'll have plenty of time to dissect it, but at this point in time beyond that, everybody saying, what are we going to talk about I don't know what you talk about with regard to this um I think all the details will become clear all right worker shortages you know it's it's Not surprising. There's a story in the paper today about how for for Lambeau Field and the Bucks and the Brewers, they're 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 struggling to find people to come in and, and work the games. It is not unique. CVS CVS is getting ready to go on a hiring spree. They say they want to hire. Get this. Twenty-five thousand people this week, as their stores struggle with long lines, frustrated customers, and, and that this is not an uncommon thing. Everywhere I go, I talk to small businesses, and they say we can't get people. You go into restaurants that you know used to be open on Monday and Tuesday, and they're closed because they say we can't get people. Fast food—we're going to do a whole to- separate topic on that, maybe tomorrow or Wednesday. You know, fast food places are, are closing their interior dining rooms again because they, they can't get enough people to to work and to staff it so it's an ongoing problem there's something that some employers are doing to deal with the worker shortage my question is how long can they do this i'll explain we'll discuss stick around So very glad to have you with us. All right. It, it, it's no secret that, that businesses can't find employees to work. And there's a wide variety of reasons for that, um, particularly in in some industries that, for example, like the fast food industry, um, places shut down during COVID and people found other jobs and they found that they liked the other jobs better. Um, in some cases, uh, again, because of the unemployment benefits that are now kind of winding down. It was more profitable to stay at home than it was to go to work, which I think was always kind of a bad policy. And there's all sorts of different factors that are going into it. But but here's one of the ways that that companies have been coping. And there's a story about this in the Wall Street Journal. In order to cover for the lack of workers. And one final point before we get into this and I I I've I've made this point repeatedly on this program that I think we are heading for a monumental train wreck over the course of the next month to month and a half with the, these COVID mandates and again I regardless COVID vaccination mandates and, and this this, I come at it from the perspective of not whether the vaccination mandates are a good thing or a bad thing, but if you look, for example, at nursing homes, where right now one out of every four positions at nursing homes are vacant, that, that's the way it stands now. On top of that, 40% of people who work at nursing homes are not vaccinated, so if you've got this huge backlog of jobs now, unfilled jobs, people you know working overtime and stuff to cover them, then you've got... Only 60 percent of that workforce that's vaccinated. If you say, hey, you know, come November 1st, we're going to fire everybody that's not vaccinated. Then the question is, what's going to happen? and again, I ask these real-world questions. You know, what, what's going to happen to a business which suddenly, you know, already has one out of every four jobs open, if you've then got to you know, get rid of another 20, 25 percent of your remaining workforce? Who's going to do these jobs? How are you going to be able to, to work? And and the answer is, you're probably not. You're probably going to have to close down these businesses, and then, in for example, in the area of nursing homes, where are the people going to go? And it's a train wreck that nobody wants to talk about, but I think it's reality the same thing is true in the healthcare field where you've got a a shortage of nurses now and there is a certain percentage for example of nurses maybe it's 10 percent maybe it's 15 percent who for whatever reasons are refusing to get vaccinated and they're going to retire or they're going to voluntarily resign or be fired or whatever you want to term it and this nursing shortage is already it's going to get worse that's just kind of the reality well what's going on right now is that a number of countries, a country companies, are coping with the worker shortage that they already have by incurring by requiring people to work overtime. Um you know, here's the way the Wall Street Journal reports it. Companies that can't fill their many openings are relying on existing workers to stay late, to come in early, and to pick up extra shifts to keep their operations um running. Overtime means bigger paychecks, but it also creates higher stress and burnout. Employers and researchers say demands for extra time are contributing to a broad wave of resignation sweeping across the country as U.S. workers quit their jobs more than any time in the last two decades. And that, in turn, places even more pressure on remaining employees. And a number of these people are going off, and they're saying, you know, I mean, here's the deal. In the manufacturing world, production employees worked an average of 4.2 extra hours a week last month. That was up from 3.8 hours extra in August of 2020 and 2.8 hours in April of 20, uh, in 2020 versus uh, August of 2020. 855-616-1620. That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. Okay, on the one hand, overtime is good. I mean, you, you get paid time and half. It's extra, you know, dough. That, that's good. Everybody likes to have that extra dough. But at the same time, especially as this gets worse, is is taking existing employees and is making them work more hours. Is that a long term solution? Or are you just going to burn out your employees and have even more leave? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think, and I guess I, I look at this and I think, I see this as just kind of another train wreck that, that's potentially coming. You know, you, you can impose overtime for, a limited period of time to people. All right, you know, I, I need you to work. I need you to work Saturdays, All right, I need you to stay two hours late and we, we've got this big job that we've got to get out and, you know, it's going to last for the next week or two. I think people will put up with that. At the same time, if you say, okay, th- this is the deal. It's going to be 50 hours a week um, for the next six months. You're going to have to work an extra 10 hours. You're going to have to stay late. You're going to have to come in on Saturdays. I, I think at the end of the day, you're going to make matters worse because I think most employer employees simply aren't going to put up with that. 855-616-1620. Have you been caught in this overtime thing and, and is, is asking fewer workers to work longer hours? Is that sustainable over any period of time? And my answer would be probably not. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is becoming another one of these crises, and it doesn't get talked about a lot because, you know, we, we, we understand that there's all these jobs that are going unfilled. And what was the latest numbers I saw? I mean, it's um, right now the U- number of open U.S. positions surged to a record high 11 million in July. So that's open positions that are there that are not being filled. And one of the ways that employers are coping is taking the existing employees and saying, work more overtime. Well, that's expensive for the companies because they got to pay time and a half. But on top of that, there's this burnout factor that's there. Here's a text, Jeff. um, This is from Leanne. My husband has been working 60 plus hours weekly since the pandemic began due to the labor shortage. We're in our 60s. And I often wonder how much longer he can keep going. Some of his peers are tired, and they're simply retiring early which makes things worse but it's totally understandable under the circumstances um yeah it's it's just that factor that that's out there they can't find these things jeff i work at a big place in appleton we have been on mandatory overtime for years what will happen if we lose people because of the vaccine well um you know they'll likely raise the overtime to more than 52 hours a week i mean and, and at some point in time like i say i mean i understand the benefit is you're getting time and a half but people burn out um, one of my textures says, "I want to work less hours, not more and and that that 's true because there is kind of that family thing on top of that. What happens is look, this is what we know: The longer people work, you reach a certain point that you start to get diminishing returns you know if if you're if you're working sixty hours a week, week after week after week you're starting to burn out. You're starting to become less productive. Now, maybe you're Superman, and that doesn't apply to you, or Superwoman, but for most people, that's the case. Jeff, here's a text. My sister works in an assisted living facility. She's been mandated to work 14-hour shifts six days a week. 14 hour shifts, six days a week. She won't quit because she has a connection with the residents, but she's very burned out and it takes a huge toll on her home life. Um, it's no wonder that they can't get anyone to stay because nobody wants to work 50 to 60 hours a week, regardless of how much money, you know, you, you make. Um, yeah, I mean, this is the element that, that's out there that, that's affecting people. I mean, I know people, for example, I, I know I know students, high school kids, who are, are working at, at these part-time jobs, and they're, they're trying to go to school, but at the same time, their employers keep saying, hey, why don't you work hours and hours and hours? A- at some point in time, we've got to f- – overtime is not the answer. It's, it's getting more people back to work and – It's trying to restore that kind of work-life balance that's there. And and I don't know know what the end game is going to be. But short-term, you can make overtime work. I just don't think that we're – I think we've already kind of exhausted that. And if we do go ahead with these vaccination mandates, which apparently we're going to, over the course of the next 30 or 45 days, I think this problem is going to get a lot worse, not better, and expect to see all sorts of businesses close because if you can't get people now – It's going to get worse. Well, there was, over the weekend, a huge story in the L.A. Times focusing on on Milwaukee. Hmm, okay, that's good. We're getting national attention. Well, it's like I say, um sometimes there there's people who argue that there's no such thing as bad press and my comment is, well, they've never had bad press. Or <laughs> if you if you if you ever had bad press, you would not necessarily believe that. Here's the headlines. On the front lines of the US homicide epidemic, Milwaukee faces historic violence and it is Oh, well, when I printed it out, it was a 31 page story. So, I mean, I don't know how many pages this covered in the, the Sunday LA Times, but it was enormous. And it just talks about how, you know, Milwaukee's homicide numbers, while perhaps in, in the aggregate, the, the raw numbers might not exceed what's going on in Chicago, that it's just, it, it's, it's, there's killing fields in the city of Milwaukee. And it's one of the reasons why the sooner, in my opinion, the, the Senate gets around to confirming Tom Barrett, as the next ambassador to Luxembourg, and the sooner we move on, the better, which isn't necessarily an indictment of Barrett, but I, I just think he's burned out. I don't think he has any ideas. And, and you have a city that is on the precipice when it comes to crime and and right now we we need new leadership with new ideas. Now I'm not saying those new ideas are going to be correct because my fear is some of the people who want to be the next mayor are going to take us in in the wrong direction. But what's going on right now is not acceptable. So I'll, I'll give you the, some of the, the the numbers that they talk about in the LA Times and they're mind boggling. But I have in front of me the the crime statistics that the Milwaukee Police Department puts out and th- these are current 2020 was a record number of homicides 190 which was up from 97 the year before 100, 190 homicides in the city of Milwaukee and the size of Milwaukee is unthinkable and we are on a pace to match that At, as of this this time last year 2020 there were 133 homicides as of the same time Well, the number I have is 130, but there were four homicides over the weekend, and I'm not sure they're cleared in. So we are essentially at the – it was an unthinkable record number of homicides last year, and and we are on pace to match that or perhaps exceed that. The homicides, as I have always argued, is kind of a – it's not necessarily the best indicator of violence because anytime somebody is shot – it could easily turn into a homicide. You know, it's, in many cases, it, it's there but for the grace of God. It's bad aim, or in, instead of, you know, nicking the aorta, the, the bullet, you know, hits the fleshy part of somebody's legs. But, I mean, any time you're shot, it could be a homicide. So um, last year, Milwaukee saw 752 non-fatal shooting victims in in addition to the, you know, 190 deaths. That was up 69%. From 2019, and and we are actually on a on a pace to exceed that. We have 586 more in the first eight months of of this year, and, and that's that's the shooting deaths. Then, of course, if you look at the other things, um, the the number of rape cases is up. The number of robbery cases enough. The number of aggravated assault cases are up, and these are all over essentially record years. The number of theft larceny cases are up. Motor vehicle theft, and I know we talk about it a lot on this program, but it's mind-boggling to me. Get this, in 2020, as of the same date, as of like yesterday, yesterday in 2020, there were 2,709 cars that were stolen. 2,709 cars that were stolen. This year, 7,465. 7,465. So it's gone from 2,709 to 7,465. Right now on the mean streets of Milwaukee, any given day, there are about 29 cars that are stolen in any given day. It's just I mean, it's mind boggling. Look, look out at the parking lot. If you work at a small or medium sized business, you look out at the parking lot, you know, maybe there's going to be 30 cars in the parking lot. Imagine if every day, every one of those cars that you're looking out in your parking lot were stolen. The, the numbers, the crime numbers are absolutely unbelievable. Uh, the L.A. Times points out like homicides. Well, and, and this is not a knock on the police department because they're overwhelmed. In 2019, The Milwaukee Police Department solved 68% of the murders, which I think is is pretty good numbers. That means 32% of the murders went unsolved, but they had 68% in 2019 in 2020 they were only able to serve, to solve 58% of the homicides. So like six out of 10, meaning four out of 10 murders went unsolved. And part of that I think undoubtedly is just due to the explosion in the number of workers, uh, of of murders. There's, you know, you've got a limited number of cops and a limited number of resources. And so you have that going on. But so here's the deal, 68% in 2019, 58% in 2020, this year so far, The rate of solving cases, solving homicides, 34%. So essentially only about one out of every three murders is being solved. And again, I, I understand this isn't an indictment on the police because they're, they're just absolutely overwhelmed. You've got all the murders from, you know, two years ago. You've got the murders from last year. And, and now you have just this huge new influx of murders and they're only solving about one out of every three, which should be scary for everybody who lives in this community. I, I, I just, I look at these crime numbers and I guess it just expresses the frustration I have because when it comes to livability, it's it's not a, gee, what came first, the chicken or the egg thing. Look, I appreciate that, you know, you need economic growth, you need jobs, you need businesses making investments in communities. But here is the reality. If you are a private business person and you're looking to put money in a community, you're you're not going to make an investment in an area that is a shooting gallery. You're not going to, you're not going to put a, open up a gas station or a submarine sandwich shop. You're not going to open up a place or a grocery store in a, in an area, in a neighborhood where there's a better than even chance that if you have people that come and, and park there, their cars are going to be stolen or that your employees are going to get robbed or people are going to get shot outside your business. You're just not going to make that investment. So you're going to go, you know, somewhere else because you've got all sorts of different choices, and that somewhere else is going to be somewhere where these crime numbers are not as high. So, again, we made the L.A. Times over the weekend. Huge story, but not for the right reasons, because, again, it tracks... It tracks all the crime victims, and the story goes and it interviews, you know, some people who lost loved ones to murders, and they're frustrated because the murderers are still out on the street, the police are frustrated because they don't have the resources to deal with it, and I'm frustrated as somebody who lived in this community for most of my life that, you know, we we don't have any ideas. We don't, we talk about defunding the police while homicides and car thefts are going through the roof. We're not willing to make some of these tough choices to deal with the criminal elements that that's killing people for goodness sakes and now you know we're starting to get national attention for this and again I We need a sea change of leadership, and we we need people with new ideas and new initiatives. We need people who will give more than lip service to these numbers. And I understand every time there's a homicide, every time somebody dies in a reckless driving incident, you have all the chattering heads that go out to the intersection and say, this is unacceptable, it needs to stop, but nobody's willing to do anything. And you know how how much more of this can we tolerate? And now that I see that the police department is only... Only clearing, only solving about one out of every three murders, that's even scarier because that means the people that are committing these murders are out on the street, perhaps to commit more murders. Just saying. The Hunt for Brew October is on as the crew close in on another NL Central title. Mr. Baseball Bob Eucher calls Brewers Baseball right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online. You can listen on your phone and on Alexa. It's the Hunt for Brew October presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive. I was at the ball game Friday night. Fran and I went and uh, it's one of those where the Brewers fell behind for nothing, came back. Big rally in the eighth inning ended up winning eight to five, I believe was the final score. Uh, two out of three out of the Cubs, big four-game series against St. Louis. Um, hopefully they'll be able to pick up a couple games early on, cement the Central Division title, and then just kind of get a chance to get their rotation ready for the playoffs. I think this is a special team. Hey, what isn't special, and we've been tracking it all day, the uh, stock market is just in a complete and total freefall. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 890 points right now. The NASDAQ... Which is tech heavy. That's down 474. That's actually a 3.7% decrease. Uh, the Dow's only down, well, only down, down like 2.6%. But percentage wise, it's even worse with the NASDAQ. It, it is a bloodbath. And this comes, you know, after a couple of weeks of, of struggles on the stock market. What's going on today is, um, there's a big, there, for people who, who think that what goes on outside the United States doesn't matter. Um, what, what's going on right now is there's a big company called China Evergrande and it's a huge property developer and they're Apparently, there's concerns about whether they're going to be able to pay bills and things like that to suppliers, and and this is what's like driving the market lower. But it's uh, right now, it's just a bloodbath. There's no other. There's no way to describe it. All right, speaking about things that go on overseas that affect us, this is a story where I'm I'm less concerned with what happened as, as to how it happened. And the interesting contrast in, in how the media would have handled it. And to me, this is again one of these, these media double standards. Right? During four years of the Trump administration. the the mainstream media and look and I I understand why people were critical of President Trump I I get it and he was a bull in a China shop and he he operated with this kind of chaos thing I mean it was like every, every day there was some other issue that was out there and every day was a big deal when it came to foreign affairs you know we had story after story after story which was here you know Trump is undermining confidence and the people in Great Britain and the people in France and our allies in Germany nobody has any respect for him and he doesn't know what he's doing, all these different things. Remember, those were the headlines over and over and over again. Well, the same thing is playing out in a different way with the Biden administration, and yet you're, you're not having the same tone of the conversations. Here, here's the latest thing. Um, in France, which is historically, France is one of our allies, France had cut a deal. It was like a several billion dollar deal to sell submarines to Australia. Now, one of the things, Australia is not a member of NATO, but one of the things that I think a lot of people believe is in the interest of, of global peace. Australia wants the ability to monitor what China is doing as China seeks to expand its control throughout the South China Sea. So Australia cuts this deal to buy submarines from France. The problem is that the submarines that France wants to sell them are, are not nuclear submarines. So they're, they're the conventional sort of submarines, so they can't travel as far. They, um, are easier to detect than, than a nuclear submarine. But France doesn't want to sell Australia nuclear submarines. So Australia decides they want nuclear submarines. You can understand that. So apparently, behind France's back, Australia starts negotiating with the U.S. for the U.S. to sell nuclear submarines to Australia. And last week, that's exactly what happens. The U.S. announces, hey, we've cut this deal. We're going to be selling nuclear submarines to um, Australia. And as a result, Australia turns around and cancels its its billions of dollars worth of contracts to buy the, the submarines from France. Now, the issue, in my mind, isn't... Whether or not Australia should have nuclear submarines, I, I think they, they clearly should. Uh, Australia is going to be our ally, and they're going to be helping patrol the South si- China Sea, and they're going to be watching, you know, China. Okay, that that's that's a good thing, and you want them, you would think, to have the the best submarines around. So it's not so much that Australia decides to buy the submarines from the U.S. It's it's that Joe Biden, and, and they did this on purpose. They 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 went behind France's back. There was no discussion about this. They didn't say, hey, you know, we're getting ready to essentially cut you out of this submarine deal. Now, I think that the U.S., it, again, it, it, it makes sense. We get the contracts to sell the submarines. Australia gets a better form of submarine. France gets screwed. That, that's kind of the bottom line of all this. And it's not so much the deal itself. It's the fact that Biden did it without disclosing the fact that this was going on to France. And so here you have one of our major European allies that now feels that that they've just been completely and totally blindsided. And what they did is France, in response to this, recalled their ambassadors from the U.S., they recalled their ambassadors from Australia because they're extremely unhappy because they've lost this, this huge contract. And again, it's not, to me, Whether or not the submarine deal should have gone through, I I think the submarine deal makes sense. But it's the double standards there, because if Donald Trump had done this, if Donald Trump had decided to, I don't know, undercut one of our principal allies, go behind France's back, and cut this side deal that ended up in France losing this huge production thing, you know that this there would just be outrage on all the Sunday morning shows. How could you possibly do this? But because Biden, again, regardless of what the merits are, we would, oh, this is Trump, this is Trump, this is Trump, look at this terrible thing. Well, this is the same sort of thing. It's like you want to say to Biden, not so much, gee, is it good that we're selling the submarines to Australia? Because it is. But I thought you were the guy that was supposed to restore internet, bring back the United States and restore international trust. And the simple fact of the matter is you, you don't do that by doing this deal in the way that they ended up doing it. At the end of the day, will they patch things up? My guess is that they probably will. But again, to me, it's the double standard that's out there You know, if Trump had done something like this, there would have been outrage, international outrage and domestic outrage. You would have had Democrats just saying, we cannot stab an ally in the back like this. And yet that is precisely what Biden did. And you get crickets. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio
1: City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is really a very exciting baseball season for the Brewers. It, it's starting to fall into place. The Brewers right now, 13 games left. Their record is 91-58. and 58. They have an 11-and-a-half game lead in the Central Division over the St. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis, who the Brewers play the next four days, you can hear all the broadcasts here on WTMJ, um, St. Louis is white hot right now. They've won eight games in a row, nine and one, and they are on track. Right now, they've played themselves into a position to be the, the second National League wildcard team. The, the way this works is the three division winners all go to the playoffs and then the top the two teams with the next best record and right now the 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 team with the the saint, san francisco and los angeles are a game apart um one of them will win the western division the other will be the top seed in the wild card and then the question is who will be the the second team saint louis has just caught fire at the right time and they are I believe, let's see, three games ahead of Cincinnati with like 13 games to play for that second wild card spot for the right to play either San Francisco or Los Angeles, and then they will advance to a best-of-five series with either the other team from the West or presumably the Brewers— Or in the NL East, Atlanta right now leads Philadelphia by two games, so Philly still has a shot. But if the playoffs ended today, it would be San Francisco, Milwaukee, and Atlanta, and then the two wild card teams, one game play in, where anything can happen, would be Los Angeles and St Louis. So the Cardinals are just white hot, but it's really you know turned out to be this sort of amazing season that's out there for the Brewers, and the Brewers are pretty much locked in. They're not. They have ninety one wins. Los Angeles and San Francisco have 96 and 97 wins, respectively. So the Brewers, I I don't think they're going to overhaul either one of those teams. But, you know, still, they have a. They um the best Brewers team record ever was ninety six wins, and you know they have a very good chance I would imagine of of exceeding that whether they can get to a hundred wins don't know, but it's been really this sort of special season and you'd like to see them take care of business against St Louis, win the first couple games, and then cement their place but it's a lot of fun to watch and uh Brewers playoff tickets individual season uh, individual tickets to the playoff games I believe go on sale wednesday so i I hope I hope that American Family Field is packed. One of the things that has been a little bit disappointing to me, and I know some people get offended when I say this, but given how good the Brewers are and how special this season is, some of the attendance has been a little bit disappointing to me. Like I said, I was at the game on Friday night. There were 28,000 people. Now, this is a Friday night game against Chicago. Now, look, I I understand— you know, one of the things going on is is normally when the Chicago Cubs come to town, it, it's the Chicago Cubs take over Miller Park. That did not happen. There, there were a lot of Cubs fans, but nothing like you would see in the past. And part of that is because Chicago is just dismal this year, 67, 83, 25 games behind the, the Brewers. So, I mean, it, it's, they, they've had a fire sale. A lot of their star players were traded away at the uh, trading deadline and things like that. So there wasn't the huge Cubs continue. That you get, but still, there was twenty-eight thousand people on a Friday night. You would have thought that, you would have thought that there would be forty thousand. And I, I saw this a couple other games that I've gone to as well. I'm going to the ball game tomorrow night. That's my last regular season game that I have tickets for. And St. Louis fans always travel well. My guess is there's going to be a huge contingent of people in from St. Louis because these games really do do matter quite a bit. But you you, you hope that. At least for the playoffs, you you hope that people come back and buy tickets to the games. And I understand there's a lot of stuff going on. There's there's you know still the the COVID issues and some people uncomfortable being in groups. I do understand that a lot of the Brewers season ticket sales are, are based on group sales and things like that. You know that the groups are are you know the group salespeople are selling tickets. Um, as soon as the schedule comes out, they're, they're selling tickets for games ne- next September. And this year, because of the pandemic, you really had very, very few group sales because they didn't know what it was going to look like at all. But, you know, there should have been more than 28,000 people at American Family Field on, on Friday to see this great Brewers team and, and hopefully – Over the course of their remaining, I guess, seven home games, you'll see big attendance, and then hopefully we'll pack the place for the playoffs. Like I say, there's plenty of room on the bandwagon. Jump on, because this team has the potential to be special. How cool is that? All right, when we come back, let's talk about how the government is handling the booster shots. We'll discuss. Okay, everybody's everybody's got their their theories about this attendance issue. Now, I it's again, I was I was surprised. I was at the Brewers game on Friday night, Brewers Cubs game. This time of the year, normally there would have been forty thousand people. Uh, now, again, part of it. Part of it is that the Cubs are no good this year, so there wasn't the number of, of Cubs fans that there typically were. There were there were a bunch of Cubs fans, but there there weren't there weren't as many as you would typically expect. I'm trying to look at the box score. I'm not saying what the attendance was. A couple of people were saying that they were there yesterday and um, it, that it wasn't it wasn't full. I mean, I'm not saying that there was bad attendance, but that it wasn't full. I. I think there's a couple things that are going on, I guess. I, I think part of it is that there's some people who are perhaps still a little bit pandemic cautious and still don't feel comfortable going out and, and being in, in large group settings. I'm not one of them. I don't, I'm vaccinated, don't have any concerns about that, hasn't stopped me from going to any of the games. Um, I think also the the lack of group sales, it hurt them because they they've been playing catch up. You know, like I said, normally you're you're selling the group salespeople. They they're selling tickets for next year. You know, right after this season ends. You know, they're they're contacting groups and and there really haven't been that many group sales. I'm sure there's some, but it's tough to kind of put that together on short notice. And we we didn't know what the the policies were going to be regarding fans coming back to the stadium. But that that's partially it, I I think as well. But but maybe there's something else going on because this this is a really special Brewers team. They're, they're, they're playing great baseball. It's fun baseball. It's entertaining baseball. I know Milwaukee is a great baseball town. So, okay, one segment, 855-616-1620, which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. what, what is it's, At least it's my premise that attendance is lower than it should be. And I, I've, I've noticed that all, all year. You've got a team that's playing great baseball, maybe the best team in Brewers history. They're fun. They're exciting. The ballpark experience is good. And I got to believe that there's something going on. Maybe, maybe it is the pandemic that's keeping people home. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the extent that there aren't more people At American Family Field, what what do you think is going on? It's certainly not a lack of interest in this baseball team, is it? Because I I think interest has got to be kind of at an all-time high. Is it the fact that all right, people are reluctant to to go out and do that. Is it a is it a concern that the pandemic had an economic impact on people and people are are reluctant to spend money? But at the same time, I will tell you they've got a lot of great deals that you know, you, you can get into the ballpark at a very very reasonable rate. And and I don't know that it's any more expensive to go to a game this year than it would have been a year ago or two years ago. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with uh, Greg in Janesville. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
0: Yeah. Hey, Jeff. Um, Yeah. My thoughts is uh, they they already made the playoffs. So my son and I, um, we're saving our money to go to a playoff game. Okay. And, um, that's pretty much it, I guess. Uh, you know, uh,
1: okay. what else, right? <laughs> oh, well, okay, so so your plan, it's its not that you're less of a fan, it's just that you've got to make some choices, and the choice you've decided is, okay, I. They've, they've, so actually they've kind of been a victim of their own success. If if they were fighting for that playoff spot, you might be more inclined to come, but now that you know that they're going to make it to the game, you're just going to save up and, and buy the more expensive ticket to go see the game.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yep, okay. yep. All got right. it right there. Interesting. Yeah, right. Okay. Thanks. Yep. For, well
1: that could be. I mean that that's that that this I, I understand what he's saying. And th- that that is this interesting irony that gee, they're doing so well this year that I don't need to see the regular season game, but I, I don't line up for the playoffs. And that'll be cool. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Let's talk to Dave in Elm Grove. Hi Dave, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, just a brewer problem. It's across baseball. I checked the attendances for a lot of teams and even St. Louis where they would be, you know, near 40,000 right. is only getting 25, 26. The other thing too, I've been out to a couple of games and, and the pri- inside the stadium, your concession prices are so ungodly high this year to make yeah. up for, for last year. And one other thing, uh, the brewer has released most of their tickets through StubHub now, and you got to pay all those service fees. That you know, I was looking for this weekend, and pretty much all the tickets are going through StubHub now.
1: Okay, yeah. So, so, so all those different factors. You're, you're right. The the in-game experience, um, it, it it is. You know, and of course, everything's cashless. So I get to, see, you know, I, I get to see when I check my credit card thing. You sit there and say, "Oh, that, that glass of wine and that beer that I had for my wife and I—that was twenty-four dollars or something like that." Twenty-nine
0: dollars you and know, fifty cents. Yeah, yep, it's, it's, I know it well.
1: Yeah, no, they, yeah it is kind of like, okay, well, you know, maybe we we don't need that third one. That's for sure. No, thanks for the call. I, I, th- there is that. There is that element there, and and they they have gone cashless, which to me I don't think. I don't think that should discourage people from going, but it is is an annoyance to me. I just—that's— I'm not quite ready for that trend, and I do feel bad for the in-stadium vendors because you, you can't just say, "Hey, beer guy," and uh, you know, give the guy a twenty for you know two beers or whatever it's going to be. You have to pull out your credit card, you have to go through that whole thing, you have to look, and you have to sign this off. It takes a lot more time. I uh, I know that's the trend is this cashless stuff. I'm not there yet. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Not that that's going to stop me from going tomorrow night, and certainly not going to stop me for going to the playoffs. Scott in Wauwatosa. Scott, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? What's going on? Why aren't more people at the games?
0: Well, put it this way: we have two of the best teams in baseball, Tampa Bay and Milwaukee. And you combine their total attendance for one game, maybe it's 50,000 people. Obviously, it's Florida. It's not a big baseball state, baseball city in Tampa. But I truly think that, you know, every game that I've been to uh, this year, probably about six or seven games, it's been, you know, 30 to 40,000 people. But that's always been like a. Thursday through Sunday or a bobblehead game. Uh, I do truly believe that Milwaukee, you know, they love their sports, but I also truly think that there are a lot of people who, oh, the Brewers are in the playoffs. Let's get tickets, you know. Not saying they're bandwagon jumpers. I just uh,
1: think that
0: they (laughs) – you know something like that, but I kind
1: kind of like our last caller, understand. I kind of like our last caller who said, "Okay well i you know i I want to go to a game, but I'm going to save up my money and and go to the playoff game instead of going to the re- rest- yeah. of the regular season games yeah
0: right, and it, it is expensive, obviously you know i'm forty seven years old, and when I used to go to games with the you know the Pepsi uh kids pack, you know, and you're going to games for six bucks with uh, a couple of hot dogs and a couple of Pepsis, you know.
1: 1975 is calling, the Scott. Nin- you, 1975 is right. calling and once you're back, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: You got that right, Jeff. So, yeah. Interesting. But well, yeah, that- I mean, I truly believe that the card, the you know, the uh, gift cards or whatever you have to do, it's cashless. That's kind of an annoyance. Not kind of, it is an annoyance. Um, right. But uh, a lot of factors, you know, Yeah. You know, COVID and everything. But I don't
1: know. I know it's interesting. Thanks, because I have my my 20 game package is 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 largely it's the midweek games. Um, So uh, unlike you, where you're going like Friday and Saturday nights, most of my games have been with one or two exceptions. I think there were like two Friday night games that were built in, maybe three, I forget. But most of them are are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, which tend to, again, earlier in the week. This is the point, like, for everybody who talks about Summerfest, and why is Summerfest only having the shows on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? It's because they study these things, and I think it's true all over, but it's particularly true in Milwaukee. We tend to be more of a weekend town. More people go out on a Thursday night than go out on a Monday night or a Tuesday night. That's just the—more people go out on a Friday or Saturday night than go out on a Tuesday or Wednesday. That's just kind of the reality. Um, I would say— For the games I have attended... Majority of which, again, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, with a lot of Tuesday and Wednesdays in there. I, I would say that the average attendance was under thirty thousand. I mean, kind of the upper twenty thousands. And I kept looking around the ballpark, saying, don't, "Don't people realize what great baseball they're playing? Come on, fans, get out there and and jump on the bandwagon." And I have no doubt that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be coming back, you know, for for the playoffs. And I have no doubt that American Family Field's going to be packed. Kelly and Slinger, hi, Kelly. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. So, listen, I don't know that this really has anything to do with the Brewers. I think this is a a thing with group events in general, Um, concerts, Summer Fest, um, State Fair, things like that, but especially sporting events where people realized over the pandemic you can watch it at home You've got a huge screen TV. You've got all the comforts of home. You don't have to worry about getting beer spilled on you. So I think people have just gotten used to that kind of environment, and they like it.
1: Mm -hmm. So you think it's going to be then a while before attendance at live events comes back?
2: Yeah, I think if ever. I think, you know, we we had an opportunity to go to some Packer games this year, and we said, well, what's, what's the point? We're much more comfortable at home.
1: Yeah, but it. I, and by the way, I, I understand that where you know you've got the bathroom that's right there and things like that. At the same time, there is there is an experience. I mean, going to the game in person is a different experience than just watching it at home, isn't it?
2: Yes, absolutely. I could not agree more. But I think that when it comes down to it. Between, if you add everything up and you start talking about cost, comfort, yeah. I think for a lot of people they've just said, yeah, you know what? I, I I found a new way to enjoy things.
1: Yeah, you could you could you could definitely be right. I mean, I'll I'll be honest with the Packers. With I used to go to a couple Packers games a year, and, and I, I love the Lambeau Field experience. But as I get older, as I get older, it's. It. There, I mean, especially if you live here in Milwaukee, it, it, there is a hassle factor. It's two hours to drive up. It's two hours to drive back. It, it's it's a great experience, but you know, you're on a, a typical Sunday, you're you're committing the entire day to it, and like on a Monday night game, which you know there's school nights for me. <laughs> I would much rather, you know, I'll watch the game at home tonight. I'll turn down the sound. I'll listen to, you know, Wayne and Larry on WTMJ, and and that's how I'm I'm going to enjoy it. I think that's that's maybe a factor. I mean, I I, but I do think there's there's a there's being there in person. And my guess is the fans are going to pack back to American Family Field for these playoffs. At least I hope so. Because I'm I'm serious. If you're a baseball fan. I mean, I, I remember the World Series in 1982. Brewers haven't been back, and I think they've got a really good chance to do it this year, and you, you want to make those special memories. And on the top of the on top of the Bucks championship win this year, boy, wouldn't it be something if little old Milwaukee has the NBA champion and the Major League Baseball champion? Back with more in just a minute. So very glad to have you with us. All right. One of the things that I think has contributed to the the ongoing issues with regard to vaccinations for COVID, and this is just one of the issues, there, there's a lot of stuff going on, has been, I think, the, the mixed messaging that we have gotten from the, the government over over time. And I believe me, I understand that science changes. And I understand that just because you believe something to be true, in April, you you get new numbers in, and then you decide by September. Okay, that th- what we thought was true in April isn't true now, so we need to have the, the we need to react to the new stuff. I, I understand that and I get it. I think though part of the problem is the government's been all over the map when it comes to the changing stuff. And I'm not talking about the the in the beginning where he said we don't think you need masks, and then changing a couple months later. I'm talking about do you need you know. Are, are, they, are the shots going to be effective? Um, do you need booster shots? And this is the latest example of it. A few weeks ago, the Biden administration comes out and aggressively pushes for for people to get booster shots. We want you to get booster shots. We think everybody needs them. All right. Well, the FDC, um says, well, the FDA, I'm sorry, the FDA, the FDA says, no, you know, we, there's not evidence that supports this. Yeah, you know, we understand that there's a study out of Israel that implies that for some of these things that the immunity tends to wane over time, but it's just this one study. And, and we're not convinced that there's enough evidence to say that you need to do this. Well, the Biden administration has already been out saying, oh, we think people need to get it. Now that their very own, you know, FDA is saying, no, we don't think that this is the case. So you get these these kind of mixed messages. So late last week, the FDA comes out and sort of splits the baby. They say, well, we've decided that for people over the age of 65 and or people that are, you know, have various issues with immunity we think that they should get a booster shot but we don't think at least at this point in time there's evidence suggesting that other people do then there's the whole question about originally we were told okay 8 months 8 months after you've had your shot you get the booster then it changes to 6 months now it's well we're we're not sure and again it's this it's the mixed messages that are out there that i think fuels the uncertainty, particularly by the people who have made the decision thus far not to get vaccinated because they're not convinced, gee, you know, is this going to work? Now, I'm pro-vaccination. I I believe people should get vaccinated. I got vaccinated as soon as I possibly could, had no adverse reactions to it, and it is my intention that— when I am eligible, I, I will get the the booster. I'm not 65, so I don't fit into that category. I don't have, you know, I- immune issues or things like that. So, I mean, I'm not pushing my way to the front of the line to get shots ahead of other people. But I, I think because I, I guess I kind of figure it can't hurt, I'm I'm going to be there getting the boosters. But I, I do think that one of the things that's going on is – All the mixed messages and all the contrary messages. And I think that, you know, the Biden administration, for example, saying, oh, you know, we want everybody to get this. And it's FDA saying, well, well, no, we're not convinced that the evidence says you need it. That, I, I think, has been an example of an ongoing problem that we've had over the last, you know, year and a half where we're not speaking with one voice. And even if you say, follow the science, we can't agree on what the science means, which is part of the problem. And it's one of the reasons why before, at least in my opinion, we make pronouncements. Before we say, well, you need to get the booster, you need to do that or whatever, we should be very, very transparent about okay, this is this is why that's been the big problem I've had with the CDC too. You know they'll say okay, well we need masks or we don't need masks or you need masks in indoor settings, or you don't need masks here or whatever, and and it's almost like there's this kind of knee jerk reaction. And again, I recognize that the science changes, but w- without w- it seems to me that it's almost like which way the wind is blowing is sometimes where these recommendations come from. And if you're going to make recommendations saying wear the mask or even if you've been vaccinated, or you don't need to wear the mask if you've been vaccinated or whatever, if we're going to change things, it seems to me we should do it cautiously and we should do it transparently, making sure that everybody understands this is, this is why we are now recommending that everybody, you know, get a booster shot once after you've had the first shot. Um, and this is why these we were relying on, this is the data, this is why we think it's a good idea being forthcoming, I think it makes it easier to make the case that you need to do, as opposed to simply saying, follow the science when the science is murky or inconsistent. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk. we only got a couple minutes, but it is my intention you know, to, to get a booster shot, when those booster shots are available, even though I admit that I think the FDA and the Biden administration, the CDC, has kind of been inconsistent about making the case for why people need boosters. I'm gonna get one. How about you? 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Again, my my point here is is that I think you need to follow the science, but I do think we need to we, we need to have consistent messaging. And, and part of the problem is you're all over the map. And th- this booster shot is the latest example of it. You know, the Biden administration is saying, well, people need to get it after eight months, then they change to the six months. The FDA is saying, well, you know, we don't think so unless you're over 65 or have immunity issues. And, and again, it's, it's that mixed messaging that's out there that creates a problem. Now, here's a text, Jeff, why would you want to get a booster shot? I don't want a booster shot. I don't know what the purpose would be. Well, I don't know. I get a flu shot every year. And I guess if 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 it's a situation where at some point in time the initial effectiveness that it starts to wane, I I'm gonna get it.